What is going on, guys? Welcome to the Keel Pro Dynasty Show. We are back, folks, and we're doing a little dual pod here. Um, I know it's been a minute since we uploaded. Uh, how long has it been, Mingo? Uh, well, the web, web.com's last podcast was April 29th, so we are over one month out at this point. And, uh, yeah, it seemed like the perfect time to do a little crossover because the KP Dynasty show has been out of action for a little while as well. So we're bringing it back at the same time, the crossover event of our generation. Yeah, a lot of people have been looking forward to this. Uh, We've both been a little busy, you know, Mingo just moving out to New York, me just graduating college, ho-hum, just, you know, another day here here in life, but... I uh, see we got a guest on this week as well, a third, not the normal Frazier that's on the web podcast. Do you want to introduce this guy, Mingo? Yes, joining us here is uh, one of Web's most valued members, one of its newest members, and a podcast darling. Colin is joining us for the return. What is going on, fellas? I am so happy to be here. Mingo moving out to New York. Caleb graduating. I got a new desk, and I am happy to be here. <laughs> hey, it's We're just it's small things in life. In yeah, all look at us go. But yeah, no, it's it's great to have Colin Frazier is MIA. He's he's taken a little bit of an extended vacay as as we come off the heels of one ourselves here, but. Um, it is incredibly exciting to be back. There has been so much life in between our last podcasts and right now. Um, specifically on my end, I just want to bring up the fact that I was pretty convinced I was never going to see the belt again. And uh, after two and a half weeks of wondering, it returned to me. And now I will never leave it out of my sight again. So that's where I'm at. Yeah, I was a little hurt, worried when I heard the web championship belt was just out in a, a storage locker somewhere missing. That could have been uh, a, an awful experience, but a lesson learned, I suppose, there. Yeah, setting up uh, Web HQ over here on the East Coast uh, did not go as according to plan, but we have secured the package. It is home safe. It is in my arms, and I am never letting it go again. So... That being said, let's get back to the action here. We are finally 
talking about post-draft values. The draft is, I mean, it was basically the last time we released a podcast, the draft was about to occur. And now we finally are talking about it a month and a half later. So we are going to make sure to hit on a bunch of names, a bunch of different players here. And uh, it's already June, so we're going to be getting into like final mock draft season here for Webb. And uh, yeah, exciting time. So let's get started. Um, We are starting off with the biggest value bump. So the player that added the most value simply from where they got drafted and to who they got drafted to. And I'm kicking things off here. I'm starting out with a running back. This running back class was a little bit weird after the top tier, but now we have a few names here. And the first one I'm bringing up is Michael Carter, who was drafted by the Jets, a team that needed a running back. They're currently working with like Tevin Coleman and LaMichael P. Ryan and all this (laughs) randomness. So they bring in Michael Carter. And by default, this makes a very interesting situation because if you were looking for a running back and you weren't in the top tier if you weren't in those like top six picks michael carter suddenly is very appealing to you maybe at the top of the second maybe mid-second somewhere in that range where um, i think some people had a few other running backs going ahead of him um, and that has completely changed um, now with carter looking to be maybe the first running back off the board in tier two yeah, after those top three running backs, it was kind of a toss-up, um, pretty much landing spot dependent in my eyes for a lot of them. Michael Carter was a guy I liked on film, and uh, he came in a little undersized, but he sort of showed flashes as a slashing running back that reminded me a little bit of Aaron Jones. Um, and now, with where they're at at the running back depth chart in, in New York, they got a new coaching staff, a new quarterback. They added Elijah Moore as well. There's not a ton of competition. I'm sorry, LaMichael P. Ryan, Tevin Coleman, Ty Johnson, don't forget that name. Uh, but uh, I'm, I'm a fan of Michael Carter, and we talked about him on the Dynasty show where he's probably not going to be a three-down guy. You know, he was listed at about uh, 5'8", 201. So, I mean, obviously not awful, but I don't see him being like a workhorse kind of guy. But a nice 1A in an up-and-coming offense that maybe could get better uh, I would agree. This is a great value bump for Michael Carter here going to the New York Jets. Yeah, I agree. I think with this LaFleur system that he's going to bring over some of that Shanahan spice, that he's going to get a lot of action, get a lot of probably passed out of the backfield. I like that he gets to grow with Zach Wilson and, and this new Sala system with LaFleur and them over there. Um yeah, I I like him a lot more than than P Ryan, unfortunately, and so I'm excited to see what happens with with Michael Carter. So Michael Carter, and now Caleb, we have another running back who increased his value potentially even more than Michael Carter. Yeah, we're going back to back running backs here, and the guy who was taken a little earlier into a very friendly running back offense. That's Trey Sermon. Uh, a guy that gained a lot of hype at the end of last season 
with those rushing performances and against Northwestern at the end of the season, going for over 200 yards and whatnot. So uh, he was a guy that was sort of in that tier two where it was another one where like, you're going to have to wait and see where this guy goes. And his name ended up getting called to the San Francisco 49ers. And, you know, you look at that team where the production they've got from Raheem Mostert when he's healthy, you know, an undrafted free agent, um, this is a guy, you know, you look at that depth chart, I believe, um, oh man, who's the running back that got hurt now? Jeff Wilson. Jeff Wilson. He got hurt. So that was like a little added pad to, to sermon stock. So now he's like pretty close there at the RB two spot. Mostert has never played a full season. Um, so I'm assuming he's going to get hurt again at some point here as he gets older. There's a good opportunity for Trey Sermon to, you know, hop into this offense and, and be successful right away. The thing is, you know, Shanahan likes to ride the hot hand, so you never know a guy like Mostert or a guy that took later in the draft, even Elijah Mitchell, uh, who we talked about on the running back episode, who had a really good profile in terms of analytics and how he tested but didn't really show up on tape. So that's maybe a, a sleeper to look at too. But the, the draft capital is Sermon and what Shanahan's looking in a running back. I think this is great for his uh, outlook going into this season. Yeah, I mean, you're talking about the San Francisco 49ers, a team that runs the ball as good as anybody. Um, you love having these guys. I mean, Raheem Moster was an, an absolute nobody. And, uh, you know, in Webb, we saw him go for a first-round pick last year, and he's 29 years old. So um, adding some youth into that running back room and a guy that they spent pretty decent capital on in the draft, that's going to raise a lot of eyebrows. And... I mean, you're talking you're talking late first kind of buzz for a player that, you know, may, maybe you loved him, maybe you didn't, but regardless, he was probably going about mid-second, maybe late second, um, and he has just vaulted up the boards um, potentially into those, like, late, very late first picks. Yeah, I, I was watching some, some of that Ohio State late last year. And I Master Teague went down, and then we get some Trey Sermon action, and I was like, "Oh, who, who's this guy? I, I like this guy." <laughs> so I was I was wondering uh, where he was going to roll around on the dynasty boards, and it looks like he's he's fitting in pretty high with this 49ers draft capital and that that Shanahan system. Like I mentioned with Michael Carter, that they're going to be running in New York, they're going to be running even better in San Francisco, and, and I'm sure Sermon will be a big part of it. And just to add in here, you know, I've been seeing some comparisons between this and last year where running backs go to a good landing spot and a certain running back named Keyshawn Vaughn went to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and was getting some late round one early second hype. You didn't hear any of that hype on the web.com podcast from us. I can guarantee you that. And he fell pretty far in our draft. But I think the difference here is that these two running backs are actually good. Like, <laughs> <laughs> also, the systems are better. But these guys, I like, actually think are are talented guys that you know have a chance to really produce. Where Keyshawn Vaughn, I just never really saw it um, coming to fruition. Yeah, you're you're not talking about a guy who's getting artificially boosted necessarily. Like the the Keyshawn Vaughn first round ADP was always a ridiculous thing. Um, I mean, regardless of your, you know, evaluation on Sermon, I mean, it's a different situation. And especially considering Tampa Bay is not San Francisco when it comes to running the ball. So, I mean, it's it's very different. I still if I had to bet on it in terms of a Web.com prediction, 
I don't think he's going to go in the first round. I don't think we're going to we're going to buy into it that hard, but um, I definitely wouldn't blame somebody if they needed a running back and they wanted to throw that dart. Um, all right, we're going to transition away from the running backs and our latest player, a wide receiver that a certain member of the podcast has been hyping up for about <laughs> three months. Colin. Yeah, so this guy shares the last name with his potential quarterback. Uh, I'm going with Amari Rogers here. Uh, unfortunately, I, I'm saying he's going to – he added a lot of value through this draft, but I guess that's kind of still up in the air with the, the Rogers drama. But uh, if, if Rogers is here, Amari fills – if Aaron Rodgers is here – Amari Rogers fills a hole that the Packers have that they haven't really been able to find production from since like Randall Cobb. And so I I'm really excited to see what Amari is capable of in this offense. I feel like he could be Rogers guy between the numbers in addition to Tanyan. And so I'm, yeah, I'm I'm excited for this as a Packer fan, and I think it's a really good landing spot in a fantasy football sense as well. Yeah, I'd agree. Um, obviously, a lot hanging in the air with Aaron Rodgers and what's going to happen with him, but I was ecstatic to see the Packers go and get him. I think you know the similarities sort of with like a Randall Cobb and how Lafleur is going to use him in this offense and. Like you said, over the numbers, like that's like over the middle of the field, I feel like he's really going to thrive because, you know, you look at guys like Marquez Valdez, Scantling, Alan Lazard, they aren't really like these inside receivers who are going to make moves and pick stuff up. But Rodgers, you can use all over the field. He's built like a running back pretty much. So uh, maybe we'll see him in at tailback a little bit. I wouldn't, I wouldn't be shocked. But a versatile player that I'm excited to see in this offense that uh, I'll be interested to see where he goes in rookie drafts. It sounds like. Uh, with a certain guy here, Mingo might might be going taking him second round, but I feel like I've been seeing you know late second, early third for the most with Rodgers. But I understand the upside of him. Well, the unfortunate part about this conversation is that it's no longer about Amari Rodgers; it's yeah. about Aaron Rodgers. That's what this has become. Because on draft night, I mean, the story breaks, so you're 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 digesting it a little bit, but then. Uh, night like day two you see Amari Rogers go to the Packers and you're like this is perfect this is the perfect situation for this player if you're a Packers fan if you watch the Packers you know exactly what role they're going to use him in how they're going to move him around the field get him in on the action it's a it's a perfect landing spot I immediately was like I I love this player and I'm taking him and now it's like Without Aaron Rodgers, how much do you expect? You know, like how much are we expecting from Amari Rodgers from a production standpoint if the offense is being led by Jordan Love? So it's a it's an entirely different conversation now. But um, I I was the the conversation for me as a as a, somebody who need like needed to own this player was like where do I need to be in the third? And then after the draft, it was, where do I need to be in the second? Mm -hmm. So that's that's the definition of a value bump right there. And so I don't know what's going to happen on draft night. I position myself in the mid-second. If I take him, 
maybe maybe I do, maybe I don't. But uh, I really uh, I really believe that he he's still underrated. The way people talk about him, like he's a sort of like a gadget player or something like this. It's not that's not what it is. He's gonna have a big role for them. It's just a matter of can the quarterback deliver. Yeah, it'll be interesting because I just recently did a startup draft and Devontae slipped a little further than you'd expect in a dynasty startup. So uh, I could see the same, same thing in rookie drafts. Um, depends what happens with Rodgers if that news comes in before the web draft. Um, if he were to come back, that would be, you know, he'd, he'd stay about there in the second round. But it, it remains to be seen. That it does, Caleb. And I'm already sick of it. <laughs> yep. Um, all right. Well, a new addition to the draft values podcast this year is that we are putting a renewed focus on the IDPs. We are now adding an IDP category to each of our individual categories. So for the biggest value bump IDP, we have selected Jamin Davis a player that has been comped to a former web MVP IDP legend, Darius Leonard. And he was picked in the first round by the Washington football team. So Caleb lead us off on Jamin Davis. How high should he be picked? It's going to be really interesting to see. I mean, this guy has been rising when we first did the mock draft process he wasn't even on anyone's radar and then he sort of started to sort of rise up right at the end of the process i think i had him like early third maybe in my last mock and now we're at the point where with this landing spot in washington they don't really have much at linebacker it's like cole holcomb um it's 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 not much to write home about it sounds like he's gonna hop in right in for a starting job uh this is an athletic guy i think he ran a four five nine so that's exciting you know the way we're going with speed linebackers you know two of the top dynasty linebackers right now are roquan smith and devin white and we saw what they could do in college on defense with their speed he fits right into that mold and he he has a chance here to contribute right away um i think ron rivera said he was the highest defensive player on their board as well which is crazy and he only really was a starter this past um season so i think there's still a lot of untapped potential with them and honestly uh, there's a case to be made with hit for him over Micah Parsons. So um, I think for sure, second round in rookie drafts, uh, borderline end of the first, I could see it. Yeah, I really, really liked to see that the football team took him. I was thinking that they might go JLK given their history of taking defensive players in the first round. But then I saw Jamin come across the board, and I was like, oh, that is a perfect fit. And he's going to be cleaning up a lot of junk after that defensive line takes care of the t- takes care of the point of attack. So I'm I'm really excited to see Jamin. He's just a freak. And if any of the comps are right, saying that he's like Darius Leonard, which I also have seen in multiple spots, then it could be a pretty coveted asset. I love how Darius Leonard comps are like the new thing. Like <laughs> yeah. every athletic linebacker is Darius Leonard. But um, no, I, I'm i saying this right now. This is my prediction. This may be reflected in our next mock draft for web.com. I think he goes first round. 
And I think he goes before Micah Parsons. Mm. That's my prediction. That's all I'm going to say on that. I like that prediction. Yeah, I honestly don't even think it's that crazy. In the beginning, you wouldn't have even thought about it. But it, now... The, the, we'll, we'll touch on Parsons later, but it, it's just it's a weird situation, not one that anybody expected him to be in, and Jamin is just like skyrocketing in a perfect situation. I, I, I'm on board for it. So if you have a late first, I, I wouldn't blame you at all for doing it. All right, moving on to the polar opposite of this category, the biggest value hit. Who lost the most value? And Caleb, you are going to start us off with the poster child for this category. Yeah, I'm kicking it off here, and it's with for, with a guy I've been rooting for for a while. I liked coming out of the process, and unfortunately, out of the second tier of running backs, didn't get the nice roll of the dice that Trey Sermon and Michael Carter is did, and that's um, uh, Kenneth Gainwell. He fell. F- Fell further in the draft than I expected, and then I find out he goes to the Philadelphia Eagles, and I was just really disappointed. You know, I thought this was a guy who could be like a 1A in a backfield. He showed the receiving ability to to maybe put together a complete type of back, and now he's stuck behind Miles Sanders in an offense that struggled last season. So I'm I think this is still like a good football player where he's going to find ways to contribute on the field. But in terms of fantasy, you have to temper your expectations a a lot unless Miles Sanders gets hurt. Yeah. I, I don't, I don't see, I don't even know how to predict where he gets drafted because to me, he's like almost like off my radar, like, Maybe in the third round, if you're like a big Gainwell fan, you're going to throw a dart at him. But like, it's just too weird of a situation. The draft capital was not what you wanted. And it's I it's one of those things where you kind of just have to listen to the NFL a little bit. And you know what? If you believe in the player, roll the dice on him. Maybe you maybe you, uh, you know, get lucky and hit your evaluation there. But. Um, there's just too many negative factors now post draft where I'm not gonna I'm not gonna be in that. So yeah, I I liked Kenneth coming out. Uh, I didn't love him, but uh, yeah, this landing spot was really strange given that they have Sanders and I think they still have Boston Scott, yeah. to my knowledge. So it's like, do you need another one? Or so I, I I can't see him being fantasy relevant, but I mean if he's one of your guys, go get him. You're gonna be able to get him fairly cheap, and then see what happens from there. Yeah, he was a guy I sort of thought would maybe have like an Austin Eckler role in the NFL, where he's just like this pass catching machine. You know, he gets some running back work, but uh, that's kind of pushed off with with Miles Sanders there. And then you know I was listening to the last web podcast where we did the mock draft. And he was going in the middle of the second. It was like, oh, Caleb sniped him from Dan with pick 16. And now it's like, I mean, third round probably at the earliest. Wouldn't be surprised, especially in an IDP league, if he falls to the fourth, which is just uh, for a guy, you know, I was maybe targeting in that mid-second for that to happen just based off uh, where he was drafted or how late he was drafted and where he went is just really unfortunate. It is indeed. Let us move on. 
to my choice, which is an interesting pick. Some may not agree with this. I chose Kadarius Tony. Now, conventional wisdom would say that he had a value bump because he was taken 20th overall, which is higher than I would have expected. But the Giants, it, it's just such a weird landing spot. It's not something I would have ever expected. We were talking about like the Jags, the Packers, teams like that where it would have been kind of fun and exciting. I just I have such little faith in Danny Douchebag and the Giants <laughs> offense that this landing spot, even with the draft capital, it just kills him for me. I like there was this a conversation where I traded to 17th overall and and it's like kind of starting to look like Tony's going to be available in that range in web if things hold. And it's like, do I take him over some other guys that I like? And I'm kind of like, I don't think I do. And it's just, it's a very weird player. I'm interested to hear what you guys have to say about him. Yeah. Um, Kadarius, Tony, I, I really don't know if I think he lost value in my eyes. Uh, He really kind of stayed where I had him. I assumed he was going to get the first round draft capital. Uh, really wasn't sure on the landing spot. I don't know. You know, you look at that team. They just signed Kenny Galladay, so he's going to play on the outside. Probably Darius Slayton on the other side, and then you get Sterling Shepard in the slot, who probably won't be able to stay healthy. So I think he has a good chance to usurp Sterling Shepard in that role. But I guess it's true. Danny Danny Dimes or douchebag, wherever, whichever direction you'd like to go with that, um, hasn't really proven that he can he can supply that kind of. Uh, of a potent offense for a receiver, but you know, you add a Galladay and a Tony, maybe that unlocks something with them that you could Saquon back to like, maybe this offense can finally take that next step. And I keep ending up with Kadarius Tony shares in my rookie drafts, just cause I'm picking in these like mid late second round. And I've got a first round receiver still sitting there. And it's like, I liked the tape. Uh, the landing spot isn't great. And the analytics I know were really bad, but you look at that guy, and it's just like I, I'm still willing to – I will happily take him mid-late second round um, in non-IDP. That's where it was. So it'll be interesting to see in IDP. But uh, I'm still kind of in on Kadarius Tony. You know, if he falls to me in a certain spot, I'd take him. And I am out on Kadarius Tony. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I, I hated the landing spot just because – mainly because of Daniel Jones because I don't think he's really – been able to supply a fantasy relevant wide receiver in general and i think saquon and kenny galladay are going to be getting most of that passing game work anyway i think that they're going to be trying to fit in sterling Shepard, who's been good when healthy in that slot role that Kadarius would theoretically fit into um but i mean he has big playability He's good after the catch. I think he'll be a good gadget guy, honestly. And I hate saying that for a first round receiver, but it I just I I don't love the Giants pick. I don't love their offense. So I hope I'm proven wrong because he's fun when he's unlocked and when he's making plays after the catch. But I just don't see that happening in this Giants offense. I mean 
that's really what it is. I hope that I'm wrong because I do like Kadarius Tony, but it's just it's so hard for me now to look at him and be excited. And maybe that's just the Giants. Like it's very hard for me to get excited about the Giants outside of Saquon Barkley, but um yeah, I I don't know. It, he's he's one of those players that if you like him and you take your swing on him, it's going to go Really good or really bad. That's yeah. that's how I see it. All right. Uh, Colin, biggest value hit. We have a, a player that's probably still going to go in the first, but we understand the logic here. Who is it? Yeah, uh, my pick here was Rashad Bateman. Um, I, I went this direction just based solely on landing spot and landing spot alone. I mean, he's going into this offense where he should be the number one receiver and he should be their X receiver and should be getting tons of targets. But Lamar hasn't supplied a fantasy relevant receiver outside of probably Mark Andrews. Uh, Hollywood's been pretty boom bust. And I mean, he hasn't really had the talent outside of that. I mean, like the Miles Boykin types aren't really anything to call home about. Um, but with this run heavy offense and Lamar is going to be getting a lot of touchdowns, I would assume when he gets down into the red zone, Bateman is a possession guy. We'll see if Lamar likes that. And if the Ravens want to kind of prove themselves right with this Sammy Watkins experiment and try to try to force him into that X spot until he gets hurt in week three. Caleb, you're the Bateman guy. What do you think about this? Yeah, um, didn't like the landing spot, but I still like Bateman. And, you know, I'm looking at this, and I was sort of thinking about, you know, Diggs went to the Bills last season, and that was like a weird spot for him, like, oh, Josh Allen. And then Josh Allen goes on to have this monster season. You know, Diggs got all of the targets. And obviously, Josh Allen and Lamar Jackson, different quarterbacks. But Lamar's never really had that guy outside of a Mark Andrews over the middle where he can just, like, pound to be really trust a receiver. Like, when you run around with Hollywood Brown and guys that are getting hurt, you know, he's never had that guy. And Bateman is that guy. He has the great analytical profile that we've talked about. He can really do everything above average um, to, to a really or to a really high level. And for that reason, I'm still in on him, just just with the talent. And maybe I'm just a glass-half-full kind of guy here with Tony and Bateman, but uh, I think Bateman can sort of maybe unlock a little bit of Lamar's talent. And if he's getting the targets, I think he's still going to put up solid numbers. So I will agree that it was a value hit for Bateman, but um, I could I still see him probably going first round in, in rookie drafts, so... Yeah, the thing for me with Bateman is he's he's a player that you're going to trust the talent more than maybe some of these other players just because of what type of player that he is. He is this possession, you know, Allen Robinson-esque sort of a player. And if any, if any receiver in this draft was going to, you know, be a good fit for Lamar, I feel like it was Rashad Bateman. And there were many people that said, you know, let's try to avoid this Ravens landing spot. It kind of felt like the writing was on the wall for Bateman and it ends up coming to fruition. But, um, you know, 
Hollywood Brown, he wasn't the kind of player that is going to help Lamar. You know, Lamar is the kind of guy that, you know, he's going to need a guy that can kind of go up and grab it and and Mm -hmm. be a very reliable player for him. And I think Bateman can be that. I think you're a little bit more worried about taking him at seven or eight, but you're still going to do it because he's Bateman. He's that mm. player. He's right outside of that top tier. He might even be in your top tier, depending on how you evaluated him. So, uh, yeah, I, I agree in the sense that I think it was a worst case scenario sort of a deal, but uh, the talent is is just so overwhelming that you can't really go wrong. Yeah, it's interesting to look at it. You know, if a guy like Waddle would have went there, like I feel like that would have been an even bigger hit, just because he's yeah. sort of around like that Hollywood mold, like. Bateman is the perfect receiver for this offense, which is why I'm still I'm still a believer, even with him there in Baltimore. Totally. All right. Our IDP choice for biggest value hit. This one was pretty obvious to me, and it was Trevon Merring because he was being universally hyped as the top DB by all the media outlets, all the scouts, you know, the Daniel Jeremiah crew and all that. And he was, what was it? DB four off the board. So you start to look at this player now. And I mean, he was, he's playing in a role that isn't very IDP friendly from a DB perspective in Las Vegas. Where do you take a guy like this now? I mean, this is a player that went from, maybe high third to like you're thinking about him in the fourth, but you're not convinced. Yeah. I really don't know what to think of him now. He was sort of the guy you'd be maybe be targeting at the end of the second, early third, and maybe a shallower DB class. And then he falls a little bit and he goes to the Raiders. Not really sure what his role is going to be. I think Abrams still going to be that sort of hard hitting safety out there and as um, for the Raiders. So how does he really fit in there? Is he going to be a contributor with tackles? I don't really see that right away. So, yeah, Mary, I, I just, it's kind of, I won't, I won't say he's off my board, but it's not really a guy I'm looking to draft all that hard right now. Yeah, I I was looking through through the notes that you guys put together before I, I was added on, and I was like, oh, a player who lost the most value, IDP. Oh, yeah, Trayvon, yeah, that, that's right. That's, yeah. <laughs> yep. Um, so I, I totally agree. I mean, the thing is like, what other DBs are you going to take in this rookie class? Like if you need a DB and you're looking to get younger at the position, like this might be the guy, but outside of that, I mean, I, I, I totally agree with you guys. Well, it's, it's interesting because it was already a weaker DB class. If you needed this position, it was already kind of a crapshoot draft wise, but with a guy like this, who it seemed like everybody agreed was a late first round pick and for, you know, some other guys to go ahead of him. I mean, you got to start looking around, but it's not a class where you're going to be really actively trying to get any db i don't think um one guy i'd slide in maybe is richie grant who went to the falcons second round pick they 
Keanu Neal's gone, and now he's a linebacker in Dallas, which sort of muddies the waters over there a little bit. But <laughs> I think Richie Grant kind of got a nice landing spot there. But, uh, yeah, for with Trayvon, it's like a guy I feel like, you know, I feel like I could pick up a random DB off waivers in week three and get better production. So why am I using a, a middle, late, third, early fourth on this guy? Absolutely, Caleb. All right. Let us move on to the most surprising landing spot. So this is kind of an ambiguous category. What surprised you? And I'm going to start us off by saying that Javante Williams to Denver was surprising to me for a couple of reasons. Number one, top of the second. That's about where we expected him to go, but certainly not to Denver. That's not a team that ever came up on my radar, at least for a running back that early. I mean, you're talking about they lose Philip Lindsay to Houston, but they still have Melvin Gordon and they're going to invest in this player that some people had as their RB one in the, in this class. And, um, I, in terms of draft value, I don't think it changes anything for me. I think he's still going to go top six. He's still in that top tier. Even, you know, if you, if you're lower on him than the other running backs, like you're still going to fit him into that group. But, um, the Denver landing spot is, it just makes things a little bit more interesting because you're not quite sure what sort of role he's going to have in year one. Yeah, this is a weird pick. Uh, this felt like a guy, you know, I was kind of hoping to go to like the Falcons and get maybe a little bit of that role that like a Najee's going to have. Uh, and he goes to Denver and, you know, Lindsay is gone. So that helps him a little bit, but I'm, it's, it's hard to predict how this backfield's really going to shake out. Like, they're not like in, incredibly similar running backs, but like they're sort of the same. Like they should be the one A kind of guy getting a bulk of carries. Once they get hot, you know they're you want to keep feeding them. And now you got two of the same sort of guy. I know Melvin's getting older, older, but like they don't really. I feel like they don't really complement each other well. They're sort of the same style of running backs. So um, it'll be interesting to see how Denver deals with that. You know they took a second round pick on them, so you got to assume they're going to use them, but. Is he just going to be a touchdown vulture for a little bit? Is he going to get some decent run? Um, this one's one that's up in the air, and I agree. I don't think he really lost value, but he's just sort of in this middle ground where he's a really good player. It's just you might have to wait a little bit to get consistent production from him. Yeah, um, I took a little break from from thinking about Dynasty for a little while, and uh, you guys were talking about the top three running backs, and I'm like, who is the third running back? <laughs> That that's how I know that this is a spot on pick with Javante because I don't see him being fantasy relevant at all this year. I mean, he is going to be splitting carries with Melvin Gordon. They're still paying Melvin a ton of money, but I think Melvin Gordon's contract is up after this year, so we'll see if they bring him back. If they don't, then this it could be a clear runway for Javante RB one season in twenty twenty two. I just pictured something similar to last season where the Ravens take J.K. Dobbins and, you know, you don't really think about Gus Edwards like as a Melvin Gordon, but it's like, well, Gus Edwards will probably be gone after this year. He'll get the lion's share. Oops, that's not happening. And now, <laughs> you know, if Melvin were to come back for another season, like you're, you're taking Javante hoping he's going to be the bell cow in year two. But if Melvin were to, were to come back, that would really spoil things. So now that's kind of in the back of my mind a little bit. <laughs> I will say this. Melvin Gordon is 28, I believe. He's 
He's getting up there quite a bit. And Javante Williams, as of two days ago from recording this podcast, it was reported that the Denver beat believes that Javante Williams will be starting for the Broncos in week one. Wow. Wow. So you're talking about a, a, an aging running back in Melvin Gordon who has been inconsistent since he joined, basically since the holdout, and a player that they spent premium capital on at the top of the second. So maybe this ends up being a steal situation. People get a little bit scared sure. of, of what's going on, and he ends up coming out and lighting things up. Or... It's J.K. Dobbins. That's the risk that you run, but you're mm-hmm. still going to take him in the top six. So mm-hmm. um, wherever you wherever you see fit there. All right. Moving on. Uh, Caleb, another running back. <laughs> this one was shocking. I know we were all together for the draft party, and I think Colin kind of spoiled it. If you don't follow Webb, he's a James Robinson owner, and all of a sudden I get a message on my phone I don't even know what it was. It was something. I'm going to throw up. Yeah. yeah. I want to kill myself. I think those were the order of yeah. the messages. As Jacksonville was on the clock, and I'm like, oh, my God, no way. And then it comes up, and Travis Etienne, first round of the Jacksonville Jaguars. And it's just crazy because, you know, on the Dynasty show, we were talking all off. So he's like, oh, James Robinson dod- dodging free agency bullets. We might actually we might actually make it. You know, and we were like, you know, they have a lot of draft picks, but they got a lot of needs they need to fill. So I, they're, they're probably not going to take one round one. And then Urban Meyer and them just decided to freaking go for it. And they take Travis Etienne in the first round. I don't know what to think about this backfield now, because now that there's random reports coming out that he's going to be playing some wide receiver. Um, it's an all new offense. Trevor Lawrence at quarterback and James Robinson's still a good running back. So. I think the two running backs complement each other well. Instead of like a Melvin and Javante, you know, ETN's going to be this slasher, go get him out as a pass or, uh, receiver. James Robinson, your hard nose running back up the middle, get you those tough yards. But it's another one where it kind of caps his upside for the season, unless he's sort of having this weird receiver role as well. Um, a shocking pick. Um, Colin, I'd like to hear your thoughts as a James Robinson owner. Mingo, do you want to go first? <laughs> oh, yeah, we'll let you uh, sure. finish. Cap it off. Sure. You need to collect my thoughts. Yeah, so James Robinson, RIP. Uh, okay, I'm not convinced that James Robinson is over. It's certainly a problem. But um, in terms of Travis Etienne, I think this... Urban Meyer is just like really freaking me out because I don't know what to believe. I don't know what this whole wide receiver stuff is. I don't know. Like I got a lot of Jaguars on my Twitter cause like kind of a low key fan of them and people do not like Urban Meyer. So I don't know what to think with ETN. It's an, it's an interesting spot. He's paired up with Trevor they have chemistry. It's a good situation in that regard. It's a good situation because it's first-round capital, and they were riding with the UDFA last year, but the UDFA was incredible, so I don't know what that means. 
it's very weird. You're, I mean, th- it does nothing to his draft stock. You're still, you're going to take him in the same place. If you loved him, you're going to take him at like three or four. If you kind of liked him, he's still going to be in your top tier. You're going to take him five or six. And I mean, you're just going to see what happens. Okay. I have a lot of thoughts about this. <laughs> <laughs> so I was sitting at the bar. Okay. And I see the Jaguars are now on the clock. And I was like, okay, all we need to do is get through this pick and have it not be Travis Etienne. And so I hate the Giants, first of all, because the Jaguars' draft target was Kadarius Toney. Ah, uh, yeah. So if the Giants go any other direction, then the Jaguars get Tony. Tony gets a boost. And James Robinson is in my arms <laughs> and is RB1 again. Um, but, yeah, ETN going here is just kind of strange because there's not really a need there. And they, they have so many holes to fill on the roster, especially... Like on defense, there's there's a lot of holes there. Their O line, and the the one thing that they really didn't need to spend capital, and then eventually you'll probably spend money on, is running back because they had James Robinson there. Hope being a homer aside, that that's my honest opinion. Mm-hmm. Um, but being a homer, it was dumbest fucking shit they could have done. It's like. And now, now, so I, I hyped up Urban Meyer when when we did the pot earlier. You asked me, you're like, oh, yeah, how do you feel about Urban Meyer? And I was like, oh, I feel great about him. You know, he, he you know, had Zeke, he had J.K. Dobbins, they had this great running system. And now he's sitting here and he's like, oh, yeah, this is this is our slot receiver, Travis Etienne. You know, yeah. I, who's LaVisca Chanel? I, who's that? I don't know. I, I haven't met him yet, but Travis Etienne, yeah, we're going to draft him, and he's going to be our, our slot guy. And uh, But he's going to play running back, too, and, and James Robinson, that's our guy. But so is Etienne. And we also brought in Marvin Jones, you know. That's, that's like, I don't know what is going on. I feel bad that Trevor might have to deal with some some BS his first season, but Hopefully they can all live in harmony and I can be a happy owner. Uh, if if not, it's going to be a long season of watching Travis Etienne succeed. Man, I'm glad you could let that out a little bit there. That was good. I'm, this was this was the right moment. It's been a month and a half, and it's finally time to release it. But I mean, best. There's a scenario where it could be like you know a Browns backfield where Chubb and Kareem Hunt can live together and produce. Um, that's, I mean, that's the best case scenario. You, you talk about compliments, Caleb, and how Javante and Melvin don't really compliment each other. I mean, James Robinson and Travis Etienne mm-hmm. certainly compliment each other. I Urban Meyer claims that there's going to be multiple backs in action. I mean, I don't know what's going on. I'm there's reports that LaVisca Chenault is like their best player now. And I don't know what to believe out of the Jaguars camp. So it's a wait and see thing. The season is going to come. 
We don't know what the Jags are even going to look like. This was a team that was horrendous a year ago. Does Trevor Lawrence, Travis Etienne, James Robinson, all these wide receivers that they have, how, what does that even look like? It's it's a weird spot, but ETN, I mean, you have to feel pretty okay just, you know, aside from the James Robinson side of things that he's going to have a pretty decent role there in some capacity. Um, all right, Colin, off the heels of the James <laughs> Robinson conversation, you have a wide receiver for us for most surprising landing spot. I do. This is a player I really like. Um, he went to a situation where they added people in free agency. They spent capital on receiver last year, and that is the New York Jets. Uh, we had Michael Carter earlier. We're coming back around with another offensive player, Elijah Moore. Um, I really like him. I wanted him to go somewhere where they kind of had a slot role to fill, had some targets to fill, but the Jets drafted Mims last year and they signed Corey Davis and apparently are restructuring with Jameson Crowder. A lot of people expected Crowder to get cut because the money worked out and they drafted Elijah Moore, but it looks like that's not going to happen. So it's looking like a tougher path to targets for Elijah Moore. Um, I, like I said, I really like him. That number eight jersey is going to look great on him. Um, I hope him and Zach Wilson can establish a connection and it can work. Um, but I'm just a little confused uh, what the production is going to look like in the Jets offense. Yeah, I'm still hoping Jameson Crowder is on his way out here. Like they restructured it, but there were still some trade rumors. So. I'm really hoping that happens just as an Elijah Moore fan because he can pl- get in that role and, and perform even better than what Crowder was doing. I know I've been a, a, a Crowder hater on the pod, some would say. <laughs> um, but, yeah, Elijah Moore, a good, really good player. It was an interesting spot. He There's a lot of late round one hype for him, but he falls to the early second, and the Jets scoop him up with an up-and-coming offense. I mean, I think the rapport between him and Wilson, I think, is going to be really nice. I think those guys are going to light it up, honestly, which is like I, I kind of actually really like this landing spot as long as Crowder is gone. Uh, and even if he stays around for a year, uh, I think Moore is going to work his way into the field. I know I've seen some reports that Mims is working with the twos. I'll have to see if that holds any truth as we get closer to the season. But Elijah Moore is in a spot where you have an up-and-coming offense, Um a team that's going to be fun to watch, you know, if Aaron Rodgers doesn't come back, Mingo might be a New York Jets fan coming into this year with what they're all doing out there in New York. But, uh, yeah, Elijah Moore, uh, we'll probably see him go. He's still a late first candidate, early second for sure in, in rookie drafts. Yeah, I I mean, this was a player that was a late sort of surging riser in the process. His name was, you know, Second round, then he's late first, and he goes right there at that fringe 34th pick. And as you know, it's it's early, it's June. You really can't put too much into these sorts of reports, but everything out of Jets camp is that this guy is going crazy. I mean, it's like it, they're almost getting bored. They're like, oh, another day, another Elijah Moore just torching everybody. And you really have to believe that, you know, in a, it's surprising 
because of all the other names in that room. But there's no name in that room like this if he turns out. I mean, Denzel Mims, very promising player, loved him. Uh, think he could be a great compliment, but you're talking about a slot weapon. Jamison Crowder is going to be there, but he's going to be there for less money. He probably just a bridge sort of a situation, maybe a player that can be a mentor for Elijah Moore. And I mean, if, yeah, like you mentioned, if a lot, if Wilson and Moore can form this connection, it's going to be something special to watch. So I think, I think Elijah Moore at the end of the first in, uh, you know, even in like IDP leagues is certainly something that should be on the radar right now. Um, just, it, it, I, I really think he's going to be a special player. All right. Speaking of IDP, our IDP choice for most surprising landing spot. This was widely reported before the draft, but I don't think anybody believed it until it finally happened, which is why it is surprising. And that is Zaven Collins going to the Cardinals one year after they chose Isaiah Simmons. So we have another linebacker in Collins going to Arizona. And I don't know what this means. I, I don't know what this does for him. I, it was an interesting pick and that, you know, they just took Simmons and they've, they have Jordan Hicks who's been, you know, for that, what was it? Two seasons ago, he had that amazing IDP year sort of fell off a little bit last season, but I was like, probably going to run those two back. Now, all of a sudden, they draft Zavin first round, and all the reports I'm seeing is that they're, they're like trying to get rid of Jordan Hicks. Like, this was their plan, like, to replace him right away. So, it sounds like Zavin's already going to have getting reps as a starting Mike linebacker in that defense. Um, he's an interesting prospect because he's, I mean, he's huge. He's like 6'3, 260, somewhere around there. Like, he's a big dude, but he's athletic. He started as a pass rusher with Tulsa, so it's got a little versatility. Um, I feel like this is, I mean, if Hicks is gone, if he's going to be out the door, this is a big boost for, a nice boost for Zayvon Collins, who is sort of, you know, lagging behind. Uh, the, the hype of Jamin Davis was coming up probably past Zayvon, and I'm not sure if he's quite in the tier with Jamin and Parsons, but he's like right there, and like I said, if Hicks is gone, he's going to have an opportunity to start right away. So uh, we might be establishing a, a three-player tier with these rookie linebackers. Yeah, I'm going to just disagree with with Mingo saying that. It, it feels like it's going to work perfectly with Isaiah Simmons and Zayvon Collins if the, the reports are true that Hicks is out uh, via trade and then Devondre Campbell is now on the Packers. So that that linebacker room is just ready to be taken over. And from all all reports is that Zavin is gonna be the guy there. And uh I think that him and Isaiah Simmons actually complement each other really well. And I think that Simmons is due to have a big season next year if they stop trying to have him be like a pass rusher and all the weird stuff they were doing last year. I think if they stick with having them be their two inside linebackers, I think they can both be fantasy relevant and both be good dynasty IDP 
assets. I mean, we, I mean, Jordan Hicks, he, two years ago, like you mentioned, Caleb has this incredible season, but I mean, he had a pretty good year last year as well. And if you're talking about a player that's stepping into that role, I mean, that has to be, you have to be a little bit excited about that, especially a, a player like Zayvon Collins, who they're spending, you know, premium draft capital on. I think it's weird in the sense that the Cardinals are going to choose to go interior linebacker and I get Simmons is a little bit of an interesting situation but you're taking two linebackers in the first round and back-to-back years it's weird but I don't think it harms either one of them necessarily and I think you can still be excited about Zayvon Collins um it's it's hard to say where to expect a guy like this to go you probably start thinking about it mid-second and I don't think I don't think he makes it to the third. No. It's the, the like the the linebackers, the top three, like you're gonna want to snatch them up. They're athletic. They're picked in the top twenty picks. I mean, it's it, it's a perfect storm for these players. So um, yeah, I, I definitely it was surprising from the sense that they had picked Simmons, but I don't I don't hate this landing spot at all. Yeah, him and Simmons complement each other well. I think um, I just wanted to touch on another linebacker that wasn't in our list, but JOK, who I actually compared him and Isaiah Simmons pretty closely. And it's just that sort of thing where now he's on the Browns, and it's tough to predict. You know, we talked about these top three guys, like they're all going to probably, well, we haven't talked about Parsons yet, but these guys are probably going to hop in and be playing right away where it's, you know what their roles are going to be. You don't know what JOK's role is going to be. And we didn't know what Isaiah Simmons' role was going to be, and it was kind of all over the place. And he wasn't a trusted uh, fantasy linebacker for, for people last year. So I think you could see sort of the same thing with JOK where there might be some growing pains as they try to figure out where exactly he's playing. But if they're able to slot him in, I mean, that linebacker room is kind of barren in Cleveland. He couldn't have an opportunity to put up points right away, but he's definitely like out of these top linebackers, the biggest question mark in my eyes. Yeah, I was a, a really big Isaiah Simmons fan, and I, I really like JOK. So I think that they both fit into that kind of hybrid safety linebacker role where they are kind of rovers, and they kind of need to have a more freedom. Mm-hmm. And I don't think Isaiah Simmons had that in the Cardinals system last year just because they were not looking to develop him. They were looking to win, and so they were leaning heavily on Devondre and Hicks. But I think JOK has a much better opportunity in Cleveland to to kind of seize control of that linebacker room, and hopefully their defense coordinator trusts him to be the instinctual uh, athletic player that he is, and just kind of fly around and make plays. Well, and just to touch on him too, like I mean, this is a player that fell because of a very late red flag in the medicals with a potential heart condition and i mean the browns reap the benefits i mean if he if he checks out and and he's all good i mean this was a team that needed desperately needed linebacker help and a playmaker like jok could potentially step right in and be an absolute difference maker for that defense so it's i think he falls out of that top three tier a little bit 
because of the situation and you don't really know what to expect in year one. But I still think that if you're willing to take the, take the risk and draft a guy like this at the late second, um, definitely early third, this could be a huge return for you. Moving on. Best sleeper pick. This is a player that you expect to be picked after the second round that could have the highest upside or most production. And Colin, I'm going to let you lead us off on this one. Yeah, this was a guy that I was pretty excited about coming out. Um, I was interested to see what kind of draft capital he would get and where he would land. Uh, Ended up going to the Chargers looking at Josh Palmer. Um, I'm excited to see them kind of fill that uh, weird role that they were kind of patching together last year. And hopefully he can take that spot with like the Guyton and like that kind of patchwork that they had thrown together. And Mike Williams, not known to be healthy all year. Uh, Their one real reliable guy there is Keenan Allen. And outside of that, with Hunter Henry gone, it's just kind of seems like there's some some targets to be had. And I, I like Palmer as a player. And, yeah, I'm excited to see how uh, him and Herbert mesh. Yeah, he was someone, honestly, I didn't really watch much of, and I really wasn't that high on. Um Pretty much for me, it's, you know, it's just a good landing spot. You get paired up with Justin Herbert in an up-and-coming offense, uh, a spot that was pretty vacant. You know, Mike Williams does his thing as, like, a possession receiver making wild catches. Keenan Allen, the reliable guy. Uh, Josh Palmer sort of fills that third kind of role, but I just don't know if I see him being anything special in that offense. I could see him being maybe like a boomer bust guy for the Chargers, but I don't think he's going to be all that reliable. Um He's still worth a flyer. Like you said, it's after the second round here, so third, fourth, but really a guy I'm I'm not really all that interested in, to be honest. Well, I'm going to disagree with you there because the Chargers wide receiver landing spot was one that was being monitored very closely because people were thinking maybe they go wide receiver in round one. They didn't do that, but Josh Palmer as a player that, you know, you're spending third round capital on it's premium. It's, you know, you're, that's what you're looking for from, from a dynasty perspective is top three round pick. And Josh Palmer is a guy who had, he had some pretty vocal fans amongst like draft Twitter and things like that guy that was underutilized at Tennessee. They didn't really know, you know, that the, Offense there wasn't really conducive to letting him make some plays. And now you stick him in a high-powered offense with Justin Herbert. I mean, you're talking about a a third-round, fourth-round dynasty pick. I mean, what are you looking for there? You're looking for dart throws, guys that are in great situations with maybe some untapped potential. And Josh Palmer checks both of those boxes. I mean, this is a guy like if Mike Williams gets hurt, suddenly he's thrust into that number two role basically by default. And I mean, if he can find something with with Herbert and take a step forward from a developmental perspective, I mean, third round pick could turn into a wide receiver three 
just like that. So, I mean, I'm not, you know, I'm not going to sit here and, and say that I expect that to happen, but I mean, I could totally see how this would be like a, a desirable pick if you're, if you're just kind of clawing for names uh, after the second round. Sure. All right. Uh, I'm going to go, I'm going to go with another wide receiver here and I'm going to go with Nico Collins. This is a player that I really like. I really like his tape. The situation is both horrible and good because he's going to the Texans who are primed to be an absolute dumpster fire. Um, Deshaun Watson still have no idea what's going on. It doesn't seem like he's going to be the starting quarterback for them one way or the other. So you don't know who's throwing them the football, Tyrod Taylor, you know, Davis Mills, whatever they're going to do. Um, but Nico Collins is a player that I really think can capitalize on this situation where there's Brandon Cooks and not a whole lot else in that wide receiver room, not a lot of playmakers on offense in general. Will Fuller is gone. And Nico Collins is a guy that flashes a lot on tape, and he's he's a possession guy. He's a catch point guy. He makes ridiculous plays. He's a red zone type of a guy, and I think he's the kind of player that he's going to make some catches this season that get him on the highlight reel and put his name up, You know, get people talking about him a little bit. And in a situation like te- the Texans where there's just nothing, there's just you, you're not talking about anybody on this team. I think he could really stand out um, and maybe set himself up for maybe a Deshaun Watson return in 2022. And, and this is your wide receiver, too. Yeah, I feel he is like the definition of like a sleeper here just because what he did in college, like you didn't get to see a lot because Michigan's quarterback play was awful. But when you saw it, you saw flashes, and he tested really well. He had a ran a four four five at his pro day at six four two fifteen. He has the the makeup of sort of an alpha receiver. But here we go again. He goes to Houston, where like I kind of agree with you. Like it's a good and a bad landing spot because if Deshaun's not there, not not no bueno. He doesn't really improve his quarterback play. But like you also said, they really just have Brandon Cooks and no one else. So if someone's going to be chucking up the ball. Uh, I'd rather probably rather be throwing it up to the guy who's 6'4", 215, and just hoping he comes down with it. And we've seen him do that at Michigan before because pretty much every time, you know, it, it was a bad ball and he can make the play on it. So this is this is definitely one of these sleepers I like where, you know, it's a weird landing spot where he's going to have a chance to prove himself right away, even if the quarterback play is inconsistent. And he has the makeup of a player that could shock some people and, yeah, I, I like Nico Collins, and uh, it'll be interesting to see what kind of an impact he makes uh, his, his rookie season here because he'll have the opportunity. I'll just say that I don't hate Tyrod Taylor. Um, I think that Nico Collins has a, a good path to succeed here, and I, I really like him as a third or fourth. I don't think you'd probably not get him in the fourth, but I, I'd like him as a third-round pick. Um, I if if he gets Deshaun Watson back because we are innocent till proven guilty. Uh, even though we're all ready to indict Deshaun, if he does have him back and the Texans are intent on not trading him, 
he could be poised for a a big season with a lot of targets, um, given that Cooks is the only other wide receiver of value there. Um, so I I really like Nico Collins. I like his tape. He's explosive, like you guys said. He's one of the few X receivers in this class, um, and I think you can get him at a bargain versus some of the other bigger name guys that we've we've mentioned and we're going to mention. All right, Caleb, switching gears to the running backs. Yeah, we're going back to the running backs, and I'm going with a guy who is backing up one of the top running back dynasty assets, Christian McCaffrey. That's Chuba Hubbard. And what an interesting player to first to start. Um, Obviously, I talked about it on the Dynasty show, but had that incredible season two years ago. Comes back, deals with sort of some injuries, just doesn't really play well at all. Uh, But he goes to the Carolina Panthers, and this is one of those spots where it's just like I'm looking at the depth chart right now, and he's technically listed behind Trenton Cannon and Reggie Bonifon. Mm. Um, He's better than both those guys. (laughs) And we've seen the workload Christian has gotten in the past. We saw what Mike Davis did when Christian was hurt. He's in a prime opportunity. If, God forbid, anything happens to Christian McCaffrey, he's going to be thrust into a workload where he can put up big numbers. And he's done it before in college. He's proven it. He did it two years ago. He would have been like a late first, early second round running back after that season. So if he can return to form and, and look like that sort of player again, um, obviously we're, we're he's got Christian McCaffrey there. So you, you're not expecting it right away. But... Uh, maybe a couple years down the line, McCaffrey's body starts to break down. Chuba Hubbard is is ready to ride, and that's why I'm willing to take him in the third or fourth round and just hope for the best. Yeah, I mean, we, we saw what Mike Davis did last year. I mean, Christian McCaffrey, it's hard to say what to expect after last year. I mean, with the workload that he had two years ago in, you know, an MVP caliber season, I mean, can he sustain that sort of workload moving forward? And you're talking about handcuffs, third and fourth round. It's perfect. Grab a handcuff with some upside. If a guy goes down, suddenly you're walking into premier production, potentially, Chuba Hubbard is the embodiment of that. I mean, Mike Davis was that last year. He was he was the ultimate handcuff play. And now, you know, he moves on, goes to Atlanta, and potentially now we have uh, the heir to that. So, um, yeah, definitely love, love Chuba Hubbard in the late rounds. Agreed. Um, after the 20... 20- 2019 season before this weird COVID season it was pretty widely considered that Hubbard was gonna be one of these top tier running backs along with ETN and Najee and it was just like yeah Hubbard is is in that in that class um but with the the tape last year he's he's fallen off obviously and in NFL's eyes um but I can see some production this year, even with C-Mac healthy, because of Curtis Samuel's absence in that offense. They didn't do anything to fill that because Terrace Marshall's not going to fill that role. And obviously they still have DJ Moore and Robbie Anderson. But I think that 
Hubbard could do a lot of what Curtis Samuel was doing in their offense last year. So we'll see how that goes, but definitely as a handcuff to C-Mac if uh, this workload proves too much for him, which I honestly don't expect. I think the ankle injury was a little fluky, but we we will see, and Chuba would be a huge upside in the third round. All right, best sleeper pick for IDP. And this was one that I kind of took the lead on because I, I feel strongly about this player. Derek Barnes, linebacker who went to the Lions. He's going to a situation where he can theoretically start right away. He is a tackle guy. He, that's what he makes his name on. He's around the ball. Uh, he's a big dude, and uh, you know I, I really think that Derek Barnes, when you're talking about um, these later round IDP selections, where you know what is what is worth spending draft capital on from an IDP IDP perspective late later on, uh, and to me, it's a guy like Derek Barnes who you know I could see him having a huge. Uh, a huge rookie season just because of pure tackle volume. Yeah. I don't have a lot of takes on Derek Barnes. I don't really know a ton about him, but um, a solid player coming out of college. And you look at the lions linebackers. I mean, they had Jamie Collins. Um, He had a, he's had a pretty significant drop off in play. Like he still put up decent fantasy points this last season, but I know his grades have gone down since he, He's going to Detroit, and they're kind of going through a culture change. So this is a guy that you're hoping can sort of take that role in the middle of the defense and be that guy. And you're always looking for these kinds of linebackers uh, in the later parts of the draft where maybe they're not the most talented, but opportunity is where, you know, opportunity is king a lot of time with linebackers. You have your top-tier guys, but there's also these linebackers we see every year like, Eric Wilson was with the Vikings. Colin had him, you know. Um, oh, my gosh, why am I blanking on his name? The guy I had this past season, Tyrell Adams with the Texans. He comes in. He has a has a bunch of points. So um, if you find guys who have opportunity at linebacker, you got to go take a chance on them. And if you want him in the late third, early fourth, I'm okay with that. I, I like the, the fit here. I like – um, as you mentioned, the kind of culture shift that they're going with here. He's a, a big kind of thumper linebacker, if I'm not mistaken. And I feel like that kind of fits what they're doing there. Um, they're really barren in the linebacker room. They're thinking about moving Okwara to outside linebacker, where he's going to be rushing the passer on passing downs and then playing a traditional outside linebacker role on rundowns. So it's there's a lot of opportunity to be had by Derek Barnes. Um, and so I definitely agree that there's a lot of value with him. Yeah, he kind of fills that Gerard Davis role that Gerard Davis kind of squandered. He never, yeah. never materialized for him. And now with Dan Campbell coming in, this is kind of a fresh start. Um, all right. Biggest bust potential. A player that you expect to go in the first round that you have some concerns with. And Caleb. Uh-huh. 
Why don't you start us off with maybe the most divisive player in this entire class? Yeah, we talked about him on the Dynasty show. Um, the the war between analytics and film on this guy, Devonta Smith. And that doesn't change with him going to the Philadelphia Eagles. It's it's kind of follow him there too, you know. Uh, we, we talked about it a lot. The analytical profile, not great at all. But the production he's put up and what he's done is some of the best we've ever seen. So... Now on the Eagles, that just kind of adds some more question marks. You know, Jalen Hurts is going to be the starter this year. We don't know for sure what he's going to look like in this offense. Um, they had drafted Jalen Rager last year, who was supposed to be this guy that takes him to the next level, and he did absolutely nothing. Um, so it's it's just tough to say. I I don't know whether whether it's going to happen. I I think they're going to give him all the opportunity to be to be the guy there, but. You know, at his size, can can they lean on him like that? Hurts maybe his inconsistencies. I just think there's too many question marks where I, I don't feel confident that Devonta is going to come out and be this wide receiver one for fantasy. Let me let me just say this. Let me just say this. Oh geez, Devonte Smith is a player that in the NFL draft. A team wanted and a division rival said no and traded up to get him in front of them. That is what the NFL thinks of Devontae Smith. He's an elite talent. The size concerns, while they are, you know, it's a real thing, the NFL is not concerned with it. And so if they believe and if Philadelphia believed enough to trade up for this guy and they're a team that needs a wide receiver, they need some help in that room. I'm all in. I'm all in. I was all in on this guy last year. I was more all in on him after a Heisman season. And if this player is going to fall to seven or whatever is going on in ADP, and especially in web, that it's it's a travesty. Someone is walking out of this draft with an absolute gold mine if Devontae Smith falls out of the top five. And it is it's it's I, I truly think that if Devontae Smith falls out of the top six in web, there is going to be an absolute stampede to Parker to get that pick. I truly believe that people are going to be throwing everything at him because you just don't let a player like this fall that low. Devontae Smith at seven is just, I think robbery is the best word I can think of because he is easily the wide receiver two in this class and arguably the wide receiver one. And I I just don't see, like, cool, he's skinny. You know who else is skinny? <laughs> Calvin Ridley. Like, I, I don't understand why him being 166 pounds makes him any worse of a receiver when you can't touch a receiver in the NFL anyway. Like... He's one of the best receivers against press in college football. 
and like that's everybody's answer. They're like, oh, they're just going to press him. They're better corners in the NFL. It's like, yeah, sorry, he's really good against the press. Uh, so I think that he's going to be incredible in the NFL. I think there's a, a lot of targets to be had. Unfortunately, I think he'll be eaten into Fulgham's workload. Uh, <laughs> uh, I, I really like how he compliments Rager, actually. Um, I know he's not getting a lot of love these days, but I think that they, they actually complement each other really well. And then with the the Miles Sanders-Goddard-Ertz situation, it's it's looking like a, a decent decent situation in Philly, as long as Hertz can supply it all. I don't know. I'm just I'm just thinking about a certain Alabama receiver that was taken last year, uh, Jerry Judy, who was all the hype. Like, oh my gosh, this guy's gonna come out and light it up. There were some question marks at quarterback, and what does he do? Wide receiver, forty something. Uh, I can see that same kind of season for Devonta, and I wouldn't be shocked. I'm sorry. I I just don't know about that offense, and I don't know if we're gonna see the same thing here at the next level. I'm sorry. That's just that's just what I think. <laughs> don't worry. It's when, not a, I, I don't. Th- I think it's a fair value to have him fall to seven. I think that's a perfect spot for him. Well, don't worry because uh, Jerry Judy's going to get Aaron Rodgers throwing him the ball, <laughs> and Devontae's going to get whoever they draft in the top five next year when they suck out with Jalen Hurts. So, <laughs> all right. Um, I'm going to go. <laughs> I'm going to move on here with another Alabama wide receiver, and I'm going with Jalen Waddell because as much as it pains me to say, we have seen this happen so many times. And every single time, people try to tell me that this guy's different. And Jalen Waddell is, if, if there's ever been a player that, can shake this mold of he's a small, fast, gadgety type of a dude. It should be Jalen Waddle. And I'm not even gonna I'm not even gonna say the name that everybody wants to say with these players. I'm not even gonna entertain that. I'm there just gonna go. say it. <laughs> Thank you, Caleb. <laughs> uh I'm not I'm not gonna go there because it's it's so rare that that happens, and I think it's reasonable to be concerned about Jalen Waddle, even though he went sixth overall. The NFL believes in him fullheartedly. The Dolphins is a perfect landing spot for him, but Tua needs to take a step forward. That needs to happen. And you're already talking about a guy who, from an NFL production standpoint, is kind of already behind the ball because of what we've seen in the past. So I'm working against history, and I'm working against Tua, who left a lot to be desired in his rookie campaign. So if I have to pick here, if you're taking Jalen Waddell top four, Top even top five, that's that's a little scary to me. Yeah, uh, Waddle was my wide receiver too, right behind Jamar Chase. I I loved that guy, and I there are things to say like you know I can call him Tyree Kill, but to make Tyree Tyree Kill, you need a Patrick Mahomes, and 
Tua isn't that at all right now. And it's an for me, it's an interesting spot because, you know, they just signed Will Fuller, who I thought was going to be that sort of deep threat guy. And now you add Waddle to the mix. I was kind of hoping they get Kyle Pitts, you know, a guy that Tua could just throw it up to when he needs someone to rely on. I'm not sure that Waddle's that reliable guy that I thought they kind of needed. And Will Fuller definitely isn't that. So is Devontae Parker going to be the guy? So honestly, for me, it was a little bit of a weird fit, um, in my opinion. Um, If Tua can take the next step, Waddle has massive upside. He can be a big play threat at any time, and it doesn't just need to be the deep balls. I mean, just get the ball in his hands, and he can make plays. But I can see the bust potential where if, if Tua doesn't fill out and they're stuck in this quarterback purgatory and, you you know, you got Will Fuller, you got a couple deep threats out there, but nothing over the middle, I think that could hamper them there. And uh, a Waddle could get hurt from that. So, yeah, I, I'm with you. There is there is some increased bust potential with Jalen Waddle. Waddle, I feel like, is so much more than a deep threat. And yeah. Like a gadget guy and all that. I think that Waddle is pretty special as a wide receiver and i think that the familiarity that tua has with him will actually be a benefit to them both i think it'll make his transition to the nfl easier it is a little strange that they had they drafted um waddle after how do you pronounce his name he he, he finally corrected the people didn't he oh what was it waddell waddell, waddell. so so uh, i'll i'll respect him uh, Jalen <laughs> Jalen Waddell. Waddell. Uh, he the with the signing of Will Fuller, it's it's just kind of an awkward fit because Tua hasn't really proven that he has the the deep uh, arm strength to to supply a deep threat, and not that they had one last year. I mean, they their best deep threat was probably Jakeem Grant, and so it, it'll be interesting to see. If he can kind of get his feet back under him, to I'm talking about, get his feet back under him, and uh, reestablish that elite quarterbacking, because that's really I think all it hinges on. I think uh, Jalen's ability speaks for itself on the field, and I think just his his yak ability and his Blazing speed will will be a great asset in the NFL. We'll just see if he can be utilized on this Dolphins team. Yeah, he's he's going he's going top four no matter what it seems like. So you're just gonna ride or die. It's not a Henry Ruggs thing where he's gonna end up falling because of this. You're betting on this guy at this point. So, um, all right, Colin, this is uh. Potentially a controversial choice, oh, oh. but you have some interesting points to make here. I mean, it might be a hot take, um, but I think that a certain guy that is poised to have one of the better rookie fantasy seasons that we've seen just might not be in the best spot. And I'm talking about Najee Harris. Um he comes into this Pittsburgh offense and he was linked to Pittsburgh throughout the draft process. And everybody was saying, why are they taking a running back in this first round? They have no offensive line. So the issue with taking a running back in the first round, especially in this situation, and it was kind of the same situation with the Jags is 
there's so many holes to fill on these teams that it's just going to be hard to find holes for Najee to run through. Because if you look, it's like last year with James Conner and Benny Snell and whoever else was in that turnstile, it, it wasn't great fantasy-wise because they're going with those short passes to Deontay and to Juju. And, I mean, Deontay's getting like 10, 15 targets a game when he's healthy. So unless Najee's going to be in that short passing game, which he very well could be because he is a great route runner. He has pillows for hands. So I could see that. But if he's if Big Ben's going to stick with throwing these short routes to Deontay Johnson and these guys that he has a rapport with, with Juju, and then he's going to uncork it with Chase Claypool, there might not be a beautiful, perfect sunset of a fantasy landing spot that people might think with Najee. Um, all of that said, I mean, I, I believe that he's going to get like 300 touches, but it, there's just a world where it's everybody's thinking, oh, this is my one-on-one, this is the running back of this class, and there's just a lot of situations where I could see this going wrong and people kind of looking back and being like, ooh, I, I guess maybe you do need an offensive line to be a good running back. These are some fair points. Yeah, I, I love Najee. Uh, I'm a huge fan of that guy. But the offensive line isn't great, and I don't think Big Ben's going to take a step forward this year, so they're probably going to be leaning on Najee a lot. Um, and I'm not, you know, you never know. We, we all assume he's going to get this bell call role, but, you know, new offensive coordinator in Matt Canada. And I know I talked about on the on the running or on the dynasty show about how McFarland and Canada have a history together. And I think a report came out today about them wanting to utilize him more. So I feel like it's just been a foregone collu- conclusion that Najee's going to get the ball uh, a ton and he probably will. But like th- there's some guys that could possibly eat into that. I know there's going to be some annoying like second and goals where Benny Snell comes in and they fucking run into the back of the offensive lineman a few times. Uh, but I mean, I still believe in, I, I love Najee, um, but there are, you know, these, he's not a bulletproof prospect in this landing spot. I'd agree with that. So I can see why you added him to the list. Yeah. I think it's, it's all about perspective on this because a lot of people are going to be taking this guy at one one with the expectation that he's going to come in and light the world on fire. He's in a theoretically good situation, but then you understand that it's maybe not the best situation because they do need a lot of help on the offensive line. So I think in the sense that you might be expecting this guy, if you're a, if you're a team that, you know, has expectations for this season, and you're bringing in Najee Harris, you might think this is your one piece away type of a thing. And he might not have the rookie season that you want him to have or that you think he could have. So from that perspective, yeah, I could see it. I'm not worried about him long term, but for this season, I could definitely um, see some issues there. Yeah, Yeah. I mean... I'm sorry. I I was going to say, like, we saw it last year where, like, Clyde Edwards-Alaire was, like, in startup drafts going like almost round one, early round two, where it's like, this guy's going to be stud right out of the gates. And like, he looked good at times, but he was never warranted that early round pick in, in, in like just normal drafts. And like, 
it, you could see it again with Najee with with what Colin brought up. So you you like to think about these top prospects about how like oh my god it's going to work out great. Kyle Pitts in Atlanta, like uh, this Jamar Chase in Cincinnati. But we see it. You look back at past drafts every year, and there's someone in that top three picks. It's like wow, we really like that guy that much. Like Kevin White. Like geez. <laughs> Like, whoa, sorry. hey, <laughs> sorry, that was just a tough random dig there, but straight, straight bullet at <laughs> Kevin White. A shot there. <laughs> but like, we see it every year, and I, you know, if it happens to Najee, yeah, yeah, I was just gonna mention like the Saquon Barkley thing that's going on. It's, I, I'm seeing people list eight, ten people in front of Saquon for this next season just because his O line is garbage. And he's been injured twice, mostly because of that. And so if Najee's getting beat up behind the line of scrimmage all year long, it could could spell trouble. For sure. Let's wrap it up with our IDP biggest bust. We've had some star-studded names on this in this category. Yeah, rightfully so, because we these are players we expect to go in the first round but our idp is none other than micah parsons a player that not too long ago maybe before the nfl draft was widely considered the top idp in this class a potential top 10 style player some rumblings about his name in web in the top 10 And then he goes to Dallas in just a weird situation with Vander Esch and Jalen Smith, and they're talking about maybe he's going to play on the edge a little bit, and he already has some character concerns. What are we we thinking with Micah Parsons? With Micah Parsons, it's interesting, the landing spot, first of all, but... I think that his skill set is a little weird for fantasy. Um, I don't know if he's going to be a tackle machine, especially if they put him on the edge, because when when you look at how people talk about him, they're like, yeah, Michael Parsons, really good blitzer. It's kind of... You, you have to be a good blitzer to be a linebacker, but that, that more makes you a rusher than like a true linebacker where you're looking for kind of like a Blake Martinez type where he's kind of a rover going sideline to sideline versus Michael Parsons. He's going to hit a hole and he's going to use his athleticism, but he might not be making those tackles all the time. And I think you'll see a lot of highlights, a lot of spectacular plays coming out of Michael Parsons, but I'm not sure if he's going to be that fantasy relevant guy that his ADP would suggest. Yeah, the landing spot is what really tricks thing trips things up here. Just cause like what we said, Jalen Smith, Leighton Vanderesh. They also drafted Jabril Cox in like the third or fourth, another linebacker. They're moving Keanu Neal from DB to linebacker. So the this for this season, this production is completely up in the air for me. Like you know he's gonna see the field, but how consistently? And when you compare that to guys like Jamin Davis and Zayvon Collins, who we're going to talk about, like, they're going to be the starting guys right out of the gates. 
that kind of pushes him down a little bit if you're looking for a guy to start right away. And those guys both have big upside too. So I think Parsons has the most upside based on his profile, based on his ability as a pass rusher really to do it all, you know, the the speed freak kind of guy. It just, we got to see where he fills into this linebacker room. I mean, LVE is probably going to be on the way out, but um, it, it's just tough to predict. I'm still very high on him, and like we talked about, he's probably still in that top tier, but I see where out of the top three, you know, he's going to have the hardest path to snaps, and maybe he just doesn't acclimate. I mean, we haven't seen him in two years now. He opted out last season, so might take him a little bit to acclimate to the league as well. So uh, some fair points there to think about with Mike Parsons. Yeah, we talk about Jamin Davis as an athletic freak, and then you forget that Micah Parsons is yeah. the athletic freak. <laughs> and uh, I think the reason that he slots into this category is just because of expectations. I think you see a guy with this sort of profile, and we've been talking about him for two years, and the expectations are through the roof and you want him to be that Roquan Smith, that Devin white, that's going to come in, be an absolute freak running all over the field, tons of tackles, making big plays, getting sacks. But I think it's the situation complicates things and you can see how a Jamin Davis or even Zayvon Collins might translate better to immediate production. That that creates a situation where this is going to go one of two ways. Either somebody's going to take Parsons anyway because they believe in his profile and his talent, and they're going to hit a big reward when all of this nonsense ends up being he's their starting guy because he's Micah Parsons and he's making all these plays or he's going to fall down the board. Somebody's going to take Jamin Davis first because that makes more sense suddenly. And you're going to talk about teams at the top of the second that are getting Micah Parsons mid second, maybe depending on what happens. So this, this is a very interesting player from a sense that I don't have any idea where to expect him to be drafted. He's in this category because he probably should be a first-round pick. He's been a first-round pick all throughout the process up until the draft, and it'll be interesting to see in our next mock draft where, where he goes because if you're talking about this kind of a player falling into the second round and, and you know teams looking at this and saying, I can get this guy at 14, at 15, it's insane. But I, I totally understand the concern all of a sudden with the, with this landing spot. All right. Um, let's wrap it up right there. This, uh, this was a, a, a nice in-depth discussion. We didn't really get to talk about the quarterbacks. We didn't really get to talk about some of the no doubt, quote unquote, elite players like Kyle Pitts and Jamar Chase. But it was nice to talk about some guys who maybe didn't get as much press throughout the process and where we are sitting on them right now, leading up to our next mock draft, which will be the next podcast. And it will not be much longer after that 
that the that sorry yeah the NFL draft. <laughs> I wish. <laughs> More importantly, the web.com draft is will be upon us. So we will be back for that. It will not be another month and a half wait. The Keel Pro Dynasty show. What do you got cooking over there, Caleb? I think we're gonna get back on track. It's been a busy month this uh, past few weeks, so um, I don't say I don't know exactly what direction we're going. Maybe. I think maybe I'll be touching on some of the guys we didn't talk about this week, so hopefully you all tuned in this week. Uh, touch on those guys like Jamar Chase, Kyle Pitts, maybe throw in some deeper guys, you know, Tutu Atwell, we can poop oh. on him and why the Rams, <laughs> why on earth they did that after taking Van Jefferson in the second round. But that's a topic for another Keel Pro Dynasty show. So, yeah. Well, I think the the headline here is we're back. Both shows are back in action, and as the summer progresses, uh, we will be getting into draft season even more and more, and I think smokescreen season is also starting to flare up a little bit. It's been quiet. I don't think, Colin, you you are not alone in taking a little bit of a break here. I know a lot of owners have kind of used this in-between period to reset and get their minds right heading into uh, into July, which is when it will really get crazy again. So, um, Colin, thank you for joining us. It was a real pleasure to have you on. Hope you had a lot of fun uh, debuting on this crossover event. Yeah. You made it onto both shows. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm really happy. And uh, speaking of a break, I kind of want to break some news. Oh, uh, uh, me and Me and Joe are going to be starting our podcast up pretty soon here oh uh, and so i'm i'm pretty excited about that stay tuned in um i'll i'll post a link on the twitter once it uh rolls out but i'm, okay. I'm excited to be making some more appearances on this podcast i got my setup finally figured out and so yeah i'm i'm really happy to be here i'm excited to talk to you guys about this and i'm so excited for the web draft i I know me and mingo have been texting back and forth about it god i'm excited to see kyle pitts on my roster oh my gosh (laughs) oh my god or is he or is he (laughs) all right well uh hope you all enjoyed the return and it was great to be back and we will see you all again soon so let's make it A great week.